Hey, uh, have you ever wondered about these made-up holidays? Like, who makes up these things? Like, this past week, there was a bald head day. Ser- seriously, show some love, right? Show some love, right? Hey, hey, God only made so many perfect heads, and the rest he covered with hair. Somebody was just feeling the spirit of God right there. You were like, man, feeling it. Uh, one of those, and I don't know who makes these up, but, but October is Pastoral Appreciation Month. And some of you are like, well, that's self-serving. So here, here's the thing. Uh, we, we, listen, Carrie had a surgery about six or eight weeks ago, and the church went like overboard in providing for us uh, food, so much food. I gained like 20 pounds in the last like two months, maybe not literally, but it felt like it. And uh, so Carrie and I were talking, and we're like, you know what, what we would love to do this month is bless our staff pastors. And so what I would love to see happen is on Sunday, October 31st, and I don't know, that's a day you might remember for some reason or another, but uh, if you can remember that day, Sunday, October 31st, we're going to have uh, some boxes out in a lobby for Pastor Aaron and for Pastor Megan, and we would love for you just to share you know, a card with them, or maybe, maybe you can't afford a card, maybe you could just write a letter, uh, just uh, letting them know, you know something about that, that you appreciate about them or about their ministry. If, you, if you're able to throw, you know, something in a card, a gift card or, or a, a few dollars, um, you know, definitely do that. You know, more than a few dollars would be great too. But, uh, and just bless them. And I'm not, this isn't like code for Carrie and I don't want to be a part of it. We're going to say that, but wink, wink, we really do. No, we, you guys have blessed us throughout the year in significant ways. And, and this uh, month in uh, pastoral appreciation, we really want to bless um, Pastor Aaron and Megan. So thank you for helping us to do that. We are in a series called Choosing Breakthrough. And if you've been around, let me kind of, uh, I'll, I'll remind you of some things. And for those who haven't been here, bring you guys up to speed. What we, what we learn is that we, we all instinctively want freedom. There's something in your life. There's something that you're experiencing, something that you're going through. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, it's a, a hurt that has become deeply lodged inside of you. Every single one of us has some place in our life where we really want to experience freedom. We really want to experience breakthrough. For most of us, our hope is that, that, it, that it will just happen to us. You know, it's like you'll just click your heels together three times. I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. And, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, freedom, breakthrough, right? But what we realize is that, that this takes work. It takes choices. It takes making decisions that lead us to freedom and breakthrough. And so what we've been doing through the series has been talking about some pivotal choices and decisions that we can make that really do help lead to breakthrough. And, uh, and, and I'm going to review those throughout the sermon today. But today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 31 and Genesis 32. And so I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible. Fewer and fewer of you have paper Bibles. If you want one, there's some out uh, in that little vestibule area as you're coming into the worship center. You can grab a Bible. A lot of you are reading um, uh, from a digital Bible, from an app on your phone. That's awesome as well, and we invite you to do that. But we're going to be in Genesis 31 and 32, and we're going to be looking at a character in Scripture uh, who really has a lot written about him that we don't really talk about a ton, and his name is Jacob. And to help me to illustrate this sermon today, I want to I bring back an ancient technology that some of you in this room had the privilege of experiencing if you grew up going to church, you grew up going to Sunday school or VBS. Others in this room, you've never been exposed to this technology before. And just prepare yourself, turn to the person next to you and say, this is going to blow your mind. This, gonna, this technology 
I mean, get ready to be ood and odd. Millennials in this room, you have never experienced anything like this before. This is the way we used to learn the Bible back in the day. I'm bringing it back. We're bringing it back. Bring it. We're bringing it back. Come on. Some of you just felt like a stirring already. Others in this room are going, what in the world? This is called a flannel board. And so, in fact, if you're here in this room and this is how you learned all the Bible stories when you were growing up, just raise your hand so we know who is old. All right. Now, now we know who is old. And uh, we're, I mean, let's have a little fun today. So today, today we're going to be talking about Jacob. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about several scenes in Jacob's life. You know, <laughs> several scenes in Jacob's life. And... Uh, uh, the first scene, I think, or, or maybe you want to call it phase or whatever you want to call it, the first scene is characterized by conflict. In fact, if you had to sum up Jacob's life in one word, it would be the word conflict. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, we're not going to go there. You can just take my word for it and look it up later. Genesis 25 verse 22 talks about Jacob's mom, that while she was pregnant with Jacob, she was actually pregnant with twins, Jacob and his twin brother Esau, that even when these boys were in her womb, Genesis 25 22 says they were fighting with each other. <laughs> right? I mean, this is before they're even born, right? And so, oh, I forgot. I have little, we'll have them floating in the air. Even, even, even from birth, right? In fact, in fact, he comes out of the womb, and he's a secondborn. Esau is first, but he comes out, and he's, he's grabbing onto his brother's heel, even in birth, right? And this would become a characteristic of Jacob's life. Like, he had conflict with his brother. He had conflict with his dad. He had conflict with his father-in-law. He had conflict with his wives. Wives. Yes, he had multiple wives, and this always causes questions, so I'm just going to clear it up right now. The Bible doesn't encourage polygamy. In fact, there's many verses in the Old Testament that speak against polygamy, but the reason why polygamy is in the Old Testament is because people didn't listen to God, and they did what they wanted to do anyhow. And oh, by the way, it resulted in conflict and dysfunction, and I highly discourage it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, there you go, just so you know. Please don't. Boy, he had, he had conflict with so many. He, he, he ripped his brother off of his rightful inheritance at one point. In fact, that caused such conflict that Jacob literally had to run away from home. I'm not talking about like run around the block for a few days. Like he had to run hundreds of miles away from home where he was estranged from his brother for decades. This guy, he's got conflict with everybody. We're going we're gonna to pick up in Genesis chapter 31 and look at some conflict that he had with his brothers-in-law. That caused him to have to run again. It says in Genesis 31 verse 1, but Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons, let's pause right there, Laban is his father-in-law, Laban's sons would be his brothers-in-law. He learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. I'm trying to do a voice there, so just appreciate it. They said, he has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. And so what does Jacob do? He runs away again. His life is characterized by conflict and is characterized by running. Can I just say, some some of you in this room, this is your story. 
you know, different facts, different issues going on in your life, but your life is characterized by conflict and running. And this is Jacob. And, and he runs away. But can I tell you, it's a lot harder to run away now that he has 11 kids, two wives, and a whole bunch of herds of sheep and goats and stuff. So it's not as easy for him as it used to be. It gets increasingly complex and more difficult to do this. And he has nowhere to go, so he decides that he's going to go back home. The only problem is back at home is where his brother is, and he's not quite sure like what kind of reception he's going to get from his brother. So he sends some messengers ahead to kind of get the lay of the land, okay? And this is where we pick up, and now Genesis 32, beginning with verse 6. Genesis 32, now verse 6, it says the messengers, these are the messengers Jacob had sent out to kind of figure out what's going on, returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he is already on his way to meet you. (gasps) That sounds good, right? With an army of 400 men. Oh, crap, right? This is not going to be good. Because Jacob doesn't have an army of 400 men. In fact, verse 7 says Jacob was terrified at the news and this is this is classic Jacob he's going to try to fix the solution in his own intelligence in his own strength so what does he do this is his bright idea I think this is the stupidest thing ever he he divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups and he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it perhaps the other group can escape can you imagine his wives May the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Ain't nobody volunteering as tribute, right? Like, what in the world, right? And here's here's the classic Jacob. He doesn't go in front of them. He sends them off and says, have at it. I'm gonna stay right here. Got my popcorn in the microwave already, right? Like, so here, the first scene that we're talking about for Jacob is conflict, which, which leads to the fact of, it leads to a choice that we talked about a couple weeks ago called the humility choice. And the humility choice, basically you could sum it up by saying, I can't. I don't have what it takes. In and of myself, I am nothing. I have nothing. I am broken. I am helpless. I am powerless. I don't have what it takes. And, and, and Jacob gets to the place in life where he realizes, I don't have the answers anymore. I mean, he's making things up as he goes. Some of you in this room this morning need to make this first choice. Where you finally come to grips. You finally are honest with yourself about the fact that you can't do it anymore. You've been trying, and you've been trying, and you've been trying. And there's all kinds of conflict in the wake. So the second scene that we want to talk about, oh, I forgot that we still had this baby up there this whole time. We'll go back to, oh, where did I have? Oh, I forgot the conflict. Oh, well, oh, man, I'm, you guys have missed so much flannel. <sighs> I get into the story and I forget. This leads to our second scene. Get rid of these guys. Get rid of the second. Well, there, I already covered it. Can't go back. The second scene is prayer. Uh, go to Genesis 32, beginning with verse 10. He says, he starts praying to God. He says, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. Oh, Lord, please, and if you're following along on the screen, what does it say? Oh, Lord, please, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. This leads to the second choice we talked about was the hope choice. 
The hope choice is, God, you can. God, you have the power. You have the strength. All this that I'm missing in my life, I realize that you have everything that I'm missing. You have all strength and all wisdom and all resources. You have all peace. God, I'm looking to you. This is, when he says, rescue me, and he's speaking to God, he realizes that only God can. You don't say, rescue me to someone who can. God, rescue me. Do what only you can do in this situation. Well, this leads to our third scene, and our third scene we're going to call wrestling. And so far in Jacob's life, like Jacob, I didn't tell you this part earlier. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and he is a grandson of Abraham. So think about the pedigree. Think about the stories that would be told. Think about sitting around the campfire and hearing his grandpa Abraham talking about all the different ways that he had encountered God. And, and Jacob has had an encounter with God. In fact, it's a little psychedelic. Like he was going to sleep and he couldn't quite, is this a dream? Is this a vision? He sees this great big staircase to heaven and angels walking up and down the staircase. And I don't have the flannel for that either. So sorry, you're out of luck. But I mean, he, he's had these experiences. But, the, but what we find is Jacob has never truly fully trusted in God. Like he's known about God. He's had kind of these semi, you know, encounters with God, but he still lived his life trying to do things in his own strength, trying to make things happen on his own. And so we get to this place, and what happens next, I'm just going to tell you right now, is crazy, and it's whacked, and you may not believe it, and you don't have to believe it, but it's in the Bible, and I believe it. But what happens next, we, we pick up in Genesis 32, verse 24, and it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. What left Jacob all alone in the camp is because he's a wuss and sent his wives and his kids and all this stuff ahead of him. But here he is alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, this, this is weird. And, oh, I never put Jacob back up on the, see, man, I'm missing. And, and so this man shows up. And, and they wrestle with each other. But you're going to find out in a few verses, and other Bible writers and Bible authors uh, agree with this assessment, that this isn't any ordinary man. And through the magic of flannel, we, we will show you that this is actually, I know this is magical. Oh, this, oh, the light, I know, I know. Come on. Just hoist me up on your shoulders right now. I, I get it. This isn't flannel, right? Like, we should do this more often. This isn't any ordinary man. We find out later that this is actually God. Okay, this is, okay so some of you are going, wait. So Jacob and God wrestle all night. That's, that's what scripture says. And here's what I want you to get just before we move on. Is God would rather you wrestle with him than for you to walk away from him. Some of you, you're going through some stuff, and you're like, I don't know if I believe in you, God. I don't know, like, I don't, this, this is horrible, and, and why would a loving God do this, and all this stuff. Listen, God would love, and the proof that I have is the book of Psalms, where David does this all the time. God, where are you? I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm suffocating. God, you're nowhere to be found. Like, like David, David prays, God would rather you wrestle with him than for you just to walk away from him. I don't even believe in God anymore. Man, wrestle with him. Wrestle with him. It says in verse 25, when the man, a.k.a. God, and we'll find this out in a minute, saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. I, I got to tell you, this verse is problematic. Okay, because if in fact, and I do believe, that this is God, are you telling me God couldn't win the match? Are you telling me that God couldn't like wrestle Jacob? 
And the best analogy that I have that I can share with you is when my kids were young, we had a season in life where I had three kids, four and under. So the oldest was four years old, three kids, four and under. And we would have this ritual every day. Some of you guys ex- have experienced this either as a kid or as a parent. This was a ritual every, e- every evening called go to bed. <laughs> Anybody? Would, I mean, some of you have PTSD from that. Oh my goodness, just go to bed. I need a drink. Go to bed. I'm still hungry. Go to bed. It's too dark. Put on a nightlight. Go to bed, right? Like, just go to bed, right? And here's what I found. I was more, I was stronger than them, bigger than them, had more wisdom than them, more resources than them. But there's something about a kid. If a kid does not want to submit to rest, you can't make them do it. And this is the best analogy that I have for what's going on with God and Jacob. Is that what God is trying to do is he's he's trying to get Jacob to submit to his rest. And Jacob just keeps popping up like that kid. Like, I mean, you got one kid, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, right? (laughs) Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's what I want you to get. God loves persistent, passionate praying. God, God, you know, sometimes we pray these weak, limp-wristed, pansy prayers. I think, you know what? You have full permission to go to God with persistent, passionate praying. Jesus said it this way. He said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He said, be persistent. Keep coming after me. You, just keep, keep asking And this is the heart of Jacob. I'm not going to let you go. You've got to bless me. Why why is he? He's desperate. If God doesn't come through, he has the potential of losing his whole family. He has the potential of losing everything. God, you've got to answer me. God, you've got to do something. Dawn is breaking, and we know that because in our flannel board, the sun is peaking. Dawn is breaking. It's magical. Is it still there? Good. I thought maybe it disappeared. And and they've been wrestling for hours, which is even more weird because why does God go through this for hours? Why why, why does God let this game play out for this long? Let, Let me just say it this way. God already has the answer to your prayers. So why doesn't he give him, why doesn't he give you the answer right away? Why does he let us struggle? Sometimes he's doing it just to see if we're really serious. Because here's a newsflash. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And in American Christianity, we get this backwards all the time. God isn't, God isn't your little butler in the sky. We actually exist to serve him. Hang on persist. So many of us miss out on God's best because we give up too soon. And this, I think this lends to a choice we talked about a couple weeks ago called the commitment choice. And the commitment choice is I'm all in no matter what. I constantly choose to commit all of my life and my will to God's care and to his control. I'm going to keep keep wrestling. God, I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. 
I love the words we said this a couple weeks ago of Peter. When, when Jesus is, Peter, are you going to take off? All these other people are taking off on me. Are you going to take off on me? And Peter goes, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking with you. We need to have that same attitude. The, the fourth, the fourth uh, 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 scene or feature that I would submit to you is, the, is honesty. Verse 27, what is your name, the man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Now again, if you're, if you're paying attention to the story, you go, whoa, whoa, wait. Okay, you just told me this is God, right? Why would God ask him? Is it, did, did God not know who he was wrestling with this whole time? Did God like, kind of get, get like thrown from heaven and stumbling around? Oh, there's a man. Let me wrestle with him until dawn. Like what, like, what is this all? Like he doesn't know his name? Oh, God knows all things. He knows who he's been wrestling with. He knows his name, he knows the conflict, he knows the running, he knows all that. Why is he asking Jacob his name? Because he wants Jacob to own up to it. He wants Jacob to admit who he is. See, in ancient times, names were given based on character. We don't quite understand this in our culture, but this was really huge in that culture. When someone told you their name, they were telling you what kind of person they were. So when you would say, hey, tell me your name, you can just kind of see Jacob going, don't think I want to tell you. You say, well, why wouldn't Jacob want to, I mean, Jacob's a nice name. We name people Jacob all the time. I mean, you probably have a friend in your life named Jacob, especially if you're my age. It was quite a few Jacobs. But do you know what Jacob means? Jacob means deceiver or supplanter. Jacob is a con artist. He's a schemer. If your name is Jacob, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying like that name in the Hebrew, and it's been redeemed since then, right? So when God asks for his name, God is saying, I need you to own up to this. Jacob had deceived people. He had deceived his father. He had deceived his brother. He had deceived his father-in-law. He had deceived his brothers-in-law. If you were named after your biggest character flaw, what would your name be? What would your name be? Can you imagine the shame and having to introduce yourself to people with that name? I think, I think what's going on here is what we talked about last week. What, what God is, when he says, what is your name? I think he's getting after what we talked about last week, which is the confession choice. And last week we said that freedom cannot happen without honesty. That the requirement of freedom is I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest with myself. I've got to be honest with God. I've got to be honest with the people that I love. That I can't experience the breakthrough in the freedom that I'm looking for without honesty. And I, th- I think that's what's going on. What is your name? Deceiver. Supplanter. Finally, we get to the fifth scene. And by the way, there's only five. And this is a scene of transformation. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Genesis 32, beginning with verse 28 He says, God says in response, when he says, my name is Jacob, God says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there, and Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. This this passage leads us to another choice, and this is the fifth choice in our series. It's the identity choice. Jacob got a new identification. He would no longer be known as a manipulator, as a schemer, as a cheater. He would now have a new name, Israel. Do you know what Israel means? 
prince of God. Can you imagine? God was saying, beneath all the dysfunction of your life, I see a prince. You know, the way you see God and the way you see yourself affects everything. In fact, some of you are making choices and decisions today based on how somebody labeled you 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 15 years ago, three years ago, two months ago. I've got a dear friend who grew up being told that they were stupid. They, they didn't know anything. Went through middle school, went through high school believing that. It wasn't until after high school, and this, this person's a genius. <laughs> genius, incredibly smart, incredibly intelligent. But you told that enough times and you believe it and you begin to make decisions and your behavior goes along with what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself matters. What do you believe about yourself? How do you see yourself? Is it the way God sees you? Or is it the way some coach in a sport that you were in in junior high school saw you? Or is it the way your uncle saw you, your grandpa? So many times it's the men in our lives who say these things. You're no good. You'll, me- you'll never measure up. You're a loser. You're so dumb. You're so stupid. Why can't you get this? Why can't you get this? What's wrong with you? Listen, that's not who you are. Getting really quiet in this room because a lot of us feel that way. Finish this statement. It is just like me to fill in the blank. It is just like me to fill in the blank. My guess is, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, a lot of you went negative. It is just like me. That's not what God sees in you. Maybe you think of yourself as a loser. I had a woman who one day I was, I was talking to this, this person across the, the table from me, and she says, she goes, when I think of myself, I, I feel disgusting. She goes, I think everyone who interacts with me thinks I'm disgusting. Maybe you think of yourself as stupid, a fake, worthless, never good enough. God says, I don't see that. You're a prince. You're a princess. You're my child. You belong to me. One of, my, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament uh, is uh, from a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and he makes a statement. If you've been around church world, you've heard this. Some of you have memorized this. Some of you probably have a mug in your kitchen with this verse on it. Some of you had a grandma who cross-stitched this and put it in one of those hoops and had it up like in a wall in her hallway in her home or something. But here's the, and I promise, many of you have heard this verse before. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Sometimes we say this verse flippantly. You know, we've heard it so many times that we don't think about the implications. We don't think about what Paul is really saying as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words. Think about this. If anyone, anyone, that's inclusive, doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your mistakes, doesn't matter what you did last night, doesn't matter, none of those things matter. If anyone, I love the potential in the word anyone. If anyone is, and then there's this prepositional phrase, taking you back to English class, in Christ, 
What does that mean? I'm no longer in darkness, I'm in Christ. I'm no longer in condemnation, I'm in Christ. I'm no longer in sin, I'm in Christ. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've come from. If you are in Christ, what does he say? You are a new creation. The old is gone. So stop focusing on the old. Stop trying to live your life driving, looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to crash into somebody. Stop looking through the rearview mirror. Start looking through the big, great, clear windshield in front of you. So God does something. He changes Jacob's name. He says, you're no longer a cheater. You're no longer a manipulator. You're a prince of God. But then he does something else. It says, uh, the end of verse 29 says, then he blessed Jacob there. Now, in our culture, we don't understand the power of blessing, but in this ancient civilization, like, blessings were huge. Like, people, you would, you would walk for miles. You would, you would do so much. In fact, Jacob stole a blessing from his brother. That's how much he wanted it. And yet here is God freely off. He's saying, you don't have to steal this. You don't have to manipulate me to get this. Like, this is my desire for you, Jacob. He blesses him. And I want every person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know God has given you a new identity. You're not who you used to be, but on top of that, he blesses you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. Paul writes these words. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You say, I'm not blessed. Yeah, you are. You're a follower of Jesus, you're blessed. Well, my, my situation doesn't feel blessed. I, I get that. And we live in a confusing world, a world full of phones and full of bus stops and full of work and full of emails and full of, you know, just all the stuff of life that sometimes we lose the reality, the reality, I can't even say the word, the reality that we are blessed. God has blessed you. What's the identity choice? You know, I've alluded to it several times. Well, what's the choice? Okay, can I get that I've got a new identity? What's, what do I got to choose here? The choice is I choose to believe what God says about me. I'm no longer who I used to be. I am brand new in Christ. It really is a choice. It's a decision every day that I've got to make. Several times throughout the day maybe I've got to make. Maybe I've got to make it multiple times throughout the day of saying, I'm not who I used to be. And this requires a faith declaration because sometimes you don't feel like it. I don't feel brand new sometimes, but I got to, in faith, declare what the Word of God says about me. So when you came in this morning, you got a yellow card. I want you to get out that yellow card. Maybe you've already put it in a back pocket or maybe you stuck it. Some of you guys love to, like, fold these things into a million pieces and put them in the pocket in front of you, and then you walk out of here and you forget that it was in a pocket, and one of our dear old ladies who serves us has to go fishing in that old pocket and find that thing that you folded a million times. Don't do that! <laughs> Don't do that to our beautiful old ladies. They've already got enough issues with their fingers getting into there and all that stuff. <laughs> On the one side, we have this verse that I just read a few minutes ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But I want you to flip it over. And what we did is made this into a faith declaration. You might not feel this way about yourself. It doesn't matter. A faith declaration is, in faith, this is who I am. 
Maybe I don't feel this way. Maybe I, don't, I haven't arrived yet. But in faith, I'm declaring this. Here it is. I now belong to Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone. My new life is beginning. You say, oh, I've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. Ain't nothing beginning. Oh, yes, it is. That's scripture. Your new life is beginning in Christ. Today's a new day. His mercies are new today. Great is his faithfulness today. Even in lament. Like we love this verse, great is his faithfulness and his mercies are new today. That's actually the context of that verse is found in a book of the Bible called Lamentations that was all about grieving and lamenting. That even in our grief, even in our lament, that his mercies are new today. Great is his faithfulness today. Whole rabbit trail. So we have this faith statement, this declaration. I'm gonna, I'm, in a moment, I'm going to have you say this out loud with me. But I, I want to warn you before we do this, I need you to say it like you believe it, okay? So none of this pansy, like, I now belong to Christ. I am a new creation. Now, if you do that, we're going to make you do it a bunch of times, and you're going to be hungry, and you want to get out of here. So turn to the person next to you and say, do this right. Okay? I'm warning you. Reese, my eyes are on you over there, okay? Students in this room, I'm looking at you, okay? You got to do this right. We're going to say this together, and I'm telling you, if you don't, if you don't do it with this is a faith declaration statement, okay? So believe it as you say it. I now belong to Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone. My new life is beginning. Woo! That was pretty good. Hell, I got to be honest, that was way better than the first service. <laughs> but I'm going to make you do it again. I know, I know, we're going to do it again. Say it again, this time, just as much passion, maybe even notch it up just a, just a little bit, okay? Here we go. I now belong to Christ. I am a new creation. The old is gone. My new life is beginning. Here, here's, here's my challenge to you. This is your homework. Your homework is maybe you need to set a reminder on your phone. Maybe you need to set multiple reminders on your phone throughout the day. Here's a challenge. Make a choice of how you view yourself. I'm not who I used to be. Make a choice. I'm going to believe what God says about me. Here's, here's how this has worked in my life. Uh, beginning of summer, I was reading a book by Craig Groeschel and talking about our thoughts. And one of the things he talked about in his, in his book was making declarations. And so what he said was look at the places in your life where there is struggle. Look in the places in your life where, 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 where you need freedom, I guess, is basically how we can say it. And he said, now take those places and write faith declarations based on those, on those statements. And so I'm, I'm going to read you some of them. I'm not going to read you all of them because it's none of your business, some of these, okay? Don't come up here after church like, what do you have in that card? I want to see. Here's some of my faith declarations. I'm going to say it right now. I don't, I don't always live this the way I need to, but I'm still going to declare it. I'm trying to get it inside of me so it becomes behavior. It, Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife and will practically show and tell her my love. I am a godly example to my kids, and they will love and follow Jesus every day of their lives. I am disciplined and self-controlled. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I love people and believe the best about them. Sometimes I don't always love people. 
So I got to say this in faith. Some of you in this room are the reason why. I'll get vulnerable with this one. I cheer for other pastors. I don't criticize them and I don't compare myself with them. I pray for them and bless them, their families and their ministries. I went through a season where I was constantly comparing myself with other, no, that's not who I am. That's not who God wants me to be. So this is a faith declaration. I don't always live this perfectly, but I want to get there. When I am stressed, I turn to God, not food. Jesus is my strength and help. He is all I need. I need to say this one more often, don't I? (laughs) Turn to God and not food, right? What, What do we do? We're just taking some... Maybe there's places of weakness in your life, places of struggle. Maybe it's a place of addiction. Maybe whatever it is, and you're saying, okay, God, show me the truth. I want to declare your truth. I'm telling you, this isn't like a once a week thing. There's several times, where I, I have this I used to have them in multiple cards, and there were so many of them, I'm like, I got to condense these into just a couple cards. I'll carry these around in my back pocket, I'll pull it out, I'll say these things, I'll say them out loud when I'm walking from the offices over to the church sometimes, and there's no one around me. Some of you need some faith declarations. And I can't make it up for, I'm not going to give you a sheet, you got to make up your own. I love, I love what God does for Jacob. Here's your new name. You're blessed. Here's the last thing. I know I'm almost out of time. And it, huh. So we read earlier in verse 25 that he had touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. If you skip now to verse 31, it says, The sun rose above him, above Jacob, as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Here's what, here's what I want you to get. I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but his entire life, Jacob had been running from conflict. And now God says, no more running. Jacob, you're no longer going to solve a problem by running from it. I've blessed you. I've given you a new name. We're going to solve conflict differently now. Jacob would now have a daily reminder to trust God. I can hear God saying, Jacob, you're not going to, you're going, Jacob, you're going to rely on me, not on your cleverness, your charisma, your beauty, or your ability to talk your way out of a situation. See, here's, here's the thing, at great cost, God has made a way for you to have a brand new identity. He said, great cost, the cross of Jesus. God has made a way for you to have a brand new identity. God wants to change your name. He wants to change your identity. He wants to bless you. But it's going to require being honest with him. And you may, like Jacob, need to sacrifice what you've always relied on. Jacob, even to the end of his life, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, that by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Still had to limp all the way to the end of his life. And I bet if anybody asked him about it, he would say, this is what God did for me. It's a reminder every day, I have a new name. I have a new identity. I've been blessed. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As you're you're sitting here this morning, I want you to know I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front. But maybe you're here and you say, Ken, um, 
I'm not right with God. Honestly, I've walked away from him. I, some of you in this room would say, I, I had, it's not even that I'm wrestling with him. I, he hasn't even been on my radar. For some of you, you'd say, no, I, he's been on my radar, but me and God have been having it out. I've been wrestling with him. I don't understand some things. There's some things that, in my estimation, God should have done completely different. I'm wondering this morning if you could come to the place of humility of saying, you know what, I can't. I can't do this. And I don't have everything figured out. When it comes to God, I don't have the Bible figured out. I don't, I don't have all of it figured out. But I do believe that he has the power to change my life. And I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead. And the same power that he raised Jesus with is available for me today. And so I need him in my life. I need Jesus in my life. I need him to, to give me wisdom and to lead me. So first I want to speak to anyone in this room who would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I, I, have, I have, to my knowledge, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. Or, or maybe I did, but that was a long time ago, and <laughs> he has not been on my radar. If you're here and you say, Ken, would you pray for me? I want to become a follower of Jesus today. I want to live my life for Jesus. Would you just respond by raising your hand this morning, if that's you? We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. With everyone's eyes closed. Anybody that would say that's me, would you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Two of you. Yeah. You can lower your hand. Four of you. Yeah. You can lower your hands after your first one. Anybody else? Guys, I'm so excited. So honored that you would raise your hand this morning. So awesome. Right now, under your breath, would you just pray with me? Just dear Jesus. I believe you died on the cross, that God raised you from the dead, that you have power for me today. Forgive me of my sin. I've rebelled against you. I've, I've gone my own direction. I've done my own thing. Forgive me. Empower me to live for you, to actually follow you. And help me to see myself the way that you see me. To understand that you've given me a new identity. The Bible says that you, if you do that, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that in your heart, then you are saved. You are rescued. You're no longer in darkness, you're in light. I want to pray now, maybe you're in this room, everyone's eyes closed, heads bowed, you're in this room and you say, Ken, I'm a follower of Jesus, but man, I've struggled with identity. I've just, I've struggled with identity. Would you pray for me that I would see myself the way that God sees me, that I would have the, the power every day to make that choice, to see myself the way that God sees me. Again, we're not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, just so, so I can pray with you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, all over this room. Yeah, all over this room. God, I thank you for these beautiful individuals who have raised their hands. God, you love them. You see them as beautiful. You don't create junk. You don't create ugly. You create beauty. 
God, you breathed your breath into them. You love them so much, you sent your son Jesus to die in the cross for them. You knew them before they were even being formed in their mother's womb. Before the creation of the world, you knew them. You chose them. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would have your power to see ourselves the way that you see us. That daily, not just in this moment when it feels good and there's someone playing the piano and it's peaceful, but God, tomorrow when we're on our way to work or when we're in the school bus on the way to school, God, that we would, that we would be reminded by your spirit to make the choice that I'm not who I used to be. That I would see myself the way that God sees me. For your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just give God praise for what he's done this morning? Come on, seriously.